0: Um, We're about almost to the halfway point in our Colossians study. We've been doing about, uh, I think, the past four weeks. Uh, Last week, my brother brought to you uh, the end of chapter 1, and he started the first few verses of uh, chapter 2. So we're going to be starting uh, Colossians 2, verses 6 through 15, if you want to turn there uh, in your Bibles. Did everybody get one of these? study outlines, you should have gotten it in your bulletin, gave us passing them out. Anybody not get one? Good, 100%. Awesome. Um, let's go ahead and pray before we get started. God, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for giving us uh, your spirit. We thank you for each believer in here. We know that um, Christ resides in us. Christ rules over our hearts and minds. I pray that you would not let us um, surrender in the war against sin, surrender in the war against the world, um, surrender in the war against ourselves, but instead that you would give us the will, give us the resolve um, to simply use that power that you've already given us in the Spirit, to simply... um, rely on you to rely on your spirit to rely on jesus um, to help us fight that war god i pray that as we dig through your word this teaching would not just be dead words from a a few thousand year old book but this these words would be living and active these words would touch each heart and mind in here today and that lives would uh, be changed as we learn about your truth in jesus name i pray amen we're going to look at a few different themes here today um, in Colossians 2, verses 6-15. through uh, 15. And uh, if you just follow along in the outline, um, we'll go through each one of those. So I'm going to go ahead and read Colossians 2, verses 6-15. through 15. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Number one on your uh, sermon outline. Number one, we must continue growing in truth. We must continue growing in truth. Paul's desire is to remind the church of their first love and knowledge of Jesus Christ. His desire is that they walk or continue in that same solid teaching, as well as grow in their spiritual wisdom and knowledge. A thankful heart is one of the fruits of a deepened understanding of God. Paul also cautions the believers at Colossae to watch out for empty teachings and doctrines. The litmus test of all doctrine is whether or not they are according to Jesus Christ. Any philosophy or theology that comes from a source other than God himself is by its very nature shallow, hollow, and often inspired by the demonic elemental spirits of the world. Let's go through verse by verse. Um, Check out verse 6. The first phrase that catches my eye, the first thing that I notice there, is that Paul says, therefore, as you received, as you received Christ Jesus. Paul is reminding the believers, he's calling their attention backward in time. Backwards to the time when they received Jesus Christ. Okay? Each one of us in here who are a Christian, maybe you've been a Christian for some time. Maybe you've just been become a Christian recently. Um, but there was a time in your life when you had just received Jesus Christ. And we all remember what that was like, right? We all remember maybe you were the most passionate at that time. Maybe you, you really believed it. Um, you were always going out and telling your friends about Jesus and about what He has done in your life. For some of us, that dries up. That initial passion, that initial love, probably for most of us, that initially dries up. So what Paul is doing here is he's reminding them of the teachings that they first heard. Remember when you first heard the gospel. Sometimes we can get so caught up in rules, in regulations, in, in nitpicking little, little theological issues that we forget to go back to the basics, the basic elements of the faith, the main doctrines, the basic doctrines of the faith. We forget to preach the gospel to ourselves daily. So Paul is reminding the believers in Colossae of the time when they first believed. He's also assuming that they're saved. He's talking to believers here. If you're not a Christian in here today, if you're, not a, if you're not a believer of Jesus Christ, these, these words that follow are not going to have much meaning for you. They're not going to have um, any implications or application in your life because you have not come to that initial understanding of Jesus Christ as your Savior. This is crucial, okay? This is our starting point this morning. You must be a Christian. You must have received Jesus Christ into your life at some point. If you have not received Jesus Christ, you have no power over your sin you have no power over the world. You have no power over yourself and your selfish desires. So that's our starting point. Receive Jesus Christ. If you have not received Him, these words will be empty for you. So what are those who have received Jesus Christ commanded to do? Verse 6, the end. Walk in Him. Walk in Him. When you, get the, uh, when you think of the idea of walking, you think of continuing. You think of, I, I have started walking and I'm continuing to walk. Um, it's a continuous action okay you don't walk I, I don't go like this and say i walked right walking is something that you do for a period of time you continue to do now when i go on a hike i don't like to go very far um it was the, the first backpack trip that i went on i put my backpack on this heavy pack i was real excited and i walked across the parking lot and i sat down on a rock and said that's it i'm done <laughs> what was I 10 or 11 years old I, I i couldn't i couldn't go any farther so my dad took all the stuff out of my backpack, put it in his backpack, and we continued to walk. So walking is something that you do, that you continuously do to get to a destination. Okay, When you walk in Jesus Christ, that's the concept of continuing in growth, continuing upward in righteousness, holiness, understanding, and sanctification. So we must continue to walk in Jesus Christ. This thought continues. Paul continues this thought in verse 7. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. I hope that all of us in here have heard the gospel, okay? I hope that all of us understand the basic truths of the gospel. And we'll get into a little of that a little bit later if you haven't. But I hope that all of us understand the gospel, but that is not ultimate, okay? We start with the gospel and we continue learning. We continue growing. We continue um, reminding ourselves of that basic truth, but also... Uh, Learning more. Learning more about God. Growing holier in Him. We are commanded to both grow grow our roots downward into those basic doctrines. Like he says, as you received Him, we need to continue to remember those things as we grow upward in knowledge of more complex issues. Did anybody in here um, fully understand the concept of the Trinity when you were first saved? Anybody? Dad? No? (laughs) You had heard it. But how many of us have had that full... Under- how many of us fully understand the Trinity right now? One. We got Ed. Two, three. Good. Awesome. Um, the point is that when we first get saved, you may not understand all the, the, the full issues of the faith. You may not understand every doctrine. You maybe just know the basics. You know that Jesus died for you. you don't, maybe you don't know exactly how that transaction took place. You know the basics. You don't know everything. So we must continue to grow in holiness, to grow. What what, what if all we ever learned was just the basics? We never moved on. We never learned more. How would you help learn others? How would you help grow others in the faith? Check out what Paul has to say. You can turn there if you want. Titus 2, verses 11 through 12. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. Is that it? Just bringing salvation and we're saved and now we just can just sit down and, and relax the rest of our lives? No, my friends. Let's continue. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. The grace of God appears, brings us salvation, and then it trains us in righteousness, trains us in truth, allows us to grow in holiness and knowledge. You see... We must continue walking in Christ and learning about Him as we defeat our sin. The two go hand in hand, okay? If you're not continually learning about God, learning about who He is, about how He loves you, about how He works, you're not going to be able to fight your sin, okay? You can't just say, I'm never going to study the Bible again. I'm never going to learn anything about God again, but I'm going to try to follow Christ. The two go hand in hand. We must learn as we grow. This is a, a positive um, encouragement that Paul is giving us. He's, he's, he's encouraging them. Okay? There's, a lot of times in the scriptures you'll see that Paul does two things. He'll do like a positive encouragement, and then he'll bring like a more negative, um, somber warning. All right, I do this with my son. Emmett, please stop pouring the popcorn all over the floor. Emmett, please stop pouring the popcorn all over the floor. Um, Emmett, if you stop pouring the popcorn all over the floor, I'll give you an m M&M. Right, that's positive encouragement. I'll, I'll, I'll reward you if, if you do what's right. But then I'll do some negative, um, some negative uh, encouragement to him <laughs> if he continues in that way. And that's what Paul is doing. He's warning, warning uh, the Colossians in verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. You see the philosophies that come from the world. If you turn on your daytime talk shows, um, you turn on uh, the Tyra Bank show, or you turn on uh, Dr. Phil, or you turn on uh, Oprah. The, the, not, that, not that all those things are entirely bad, but a lot of those philosophies on there that you hear are empty, and they're hollow. And they're not based on the teachings of Jesus Christ. They, lead, they ultimately will lead us away from a, a Christ-centered gospel to a man-centered gospel. Ultimately, those things will lead us away from Christ. This is what Paul wants us to avoid. And, and, and Paul really emphasizes the severity of leaving the teachings of Jesus Christ in Galatians 1, verses 8 and 9. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, So let him be accursed. Paul says it twice. If you ever see anything that's said twice in the Bible, pay attention. It might be important. Um, So do not abandon the gospel that you have initially received. Does anybody know what the test is for new revelation? If if somebody comes up and says, I have a word from God. Some churches, they'll do this. They'll go up to the front. I have a word that I received directly from God. God tells us this. Uh, God tells us that we all need to wear red shoes to church or, you know, whatever the revelation is. The test for, for new revelation, the test for any new scripture that someone tries to bring up, is whether or not it conflicts with the old scripture. That's primar- primarily. This comes from the Old Testament, uh, Deuteronomy 13:1 through 3. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass... Okay, so what does that mean? That means we have a prophet who comes here and says, I predict that on Tuesday um, the Lakers will defeat the, you know, whoever they're playing. I don't know. Right? And this is a prophet that comes up. And it comes true. Oh, so we should listen to him, right? Wrong. And the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass. So the Lakers win. And if he says, let us go after other gods which you have not known, that's the key, which you have not known, things that you have not already known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams because that conflicts with the already revealed Mosaic Law that conflicts with the Ten Commandments to only serve God. So if somebody comes along and, and brings us something, brings us a gospel, two young men knock on your door and say, we have the, uh, a New Testament of Jesus Christ. If that gospel conflicts with the current gospel that we already have, it's already been revealed, then we are to reject that person. We are to reject that teacher. Do not listen to those who try to pull you away from the true teachings of Jesus Christ. Number two on your sermon outline. So number one, we must continue growing in truth. Number two, you have been filled in Christ. You have been filled in Christ. This comes from verses 9 through 13. Jesus Christ contains all the fullness of God in human form. And this very power and authority rules in us and over us. Paul now hammers home the idea that we ought to be fully satisfied by God in Jesus so that the deceptive teachings of verses 5 and 8 are ineffective against us. Paul reminds the believers that by their faith they were spiritually circumcised or set apart to the kingdom of God. Just as circumcision in the Old Testament granted one entrance into the nation of Israel, so spiritual circumcision brings one into Christ's kingdom and nation. Baptism also signifies a death to sin, the world, and oneself. Go back, check out verses 9 through 10, one one more time. Verses 9 and 10 in Colossians 2. For in him, that's Jesus, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him. This is a mystery to us. This is this is something that, that's never happened before, will never happen again. God became man. This is this is the crux. This is this is one of the most important doctrines of the Christian faith. Jesus Christ, God, very God, became man, very man. 100% man, 100% God in one unified person. You see, John 1.1 1, 1 is true. John 1.1 1, 1 is true. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That Word is Jesus. Jesus was God. But John 1.14 is equally true. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So we have two natures. We have a divine nature. We have a human nature. And yet they're unified in one person. And yet they're distinct from one another. We we will probably never fully understand that. But we have to rely on what the Bible tells us. Jesus was God and Jesus was fully a man. But you know what I love about the Bible is that it doesn't just throw these truths on us and says, "Eh, you know, good luck. Right? It doesn't, they don't back the dump truck up and dump all the truth on us and, and hope that may, maybe we'll be able to apply it. Maybe it'll be useful at some point, right? It's not the fortune cookie. You open it up, okay, I'll see what I can do with that. It applies it for us most of the time. It'll give us some sort of application. And here's what Paul does here. He says, not only is Jesus God, but this matters to you. This, this completely is 100% applicable to the Christian because... Verse 9, in him the fullness of deity dwells bodily. And, and verse 10, you have been filled in him. You have been filled with what? That same power and authority. Okay? Jesus Christ rules over all creation. We've looked at this in uh, Colossians 1. I think uh, Andrew Crest preached on that passage. That Jesus Christ created the world. Jesus Christ actively sustains the world. Jesus Christ rules over us. And yet, that same power, that same authority is yours in Jesus Christ because you have been filled in Him and with Him. God's power is available to the Christian this morning. It's available to you right this instant to help you fight sin, to help you to understand God's truth, and to help you to love those around you. Anybody in here ever have trouble loving? One, two, right? A lot of times people will pray for, God, please... Please give me the strength to love this person. Please give me the strength to do this. Please give me the strength to do this. That's fine. That's, that's good. We need to rely on God. But remember, you have the strength already. God's power is within you. God's power is within you if you are a Christian because he has already given you that Holy Spirit. And it's good to pray. It's good to rely on him. That's the whole point. But remember, God has, Christ died. Jesus Christ came and died and sent the Holy Spirit for us so that we would have that power so we would be able to fight sin so we would be able to understand him not only is this power available to us but it's absolutely necessary you cannot win apart from it the puritan john owen writes this to suppose that whatever god requires of us that we have power of ourselves to do is to make the cross and grace of jesus christ of no effect okay to assume that you can you can overcome with your own willpower you know and you can just use your, all your mental powers and say, yes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to beat sin, I'm going to fight, without relying on God, is to say, you know what, I don't care, Jesus. I don't care that you died on the cross. I don't care that you want to send, send me your spirit. I don't care that you did all that for us. I'm going to try to do it on my own. Okay, this is like if I spend all this time and energy um, making a gift. If I spend all this time and energy making, making a gift for somebody, say my wife or, or my son, and they just toss it aside and say, well, I'm just going to do it on my own. Don't, you know, don't worry about it. That's what we do. We really spit in God's face when we try to do things on our own without relying on Him and His power that He's given us. You make His sacrifice worthless. You tell Him that He died in vain if you do that. Always look to Jesus Christ for your strife. Here, Paul uses two different analogies to emphasize our unity and feeling with Christ. The first one there is circumcision. In the Old Testament, circumcision was a sign. It was a physical, visible sign that this person was part of God's chosen people. Okay, nowadays, we don't have really a physical sign. I don't have Jesus written on my forehead or anything. Okay, there's, no, there's no mystical sign to tell who's a Christian and who's not. We have symbols like baptism. We have the Lord's Supper that we partake in. But really, there's no way that you can tell who's, true, who's truly saved and who's not. Okay, We can look at... Their fruits, we can look at um, how they live their life to kind of maybe discern a little bit and tell. But ultimately, somebody could totally fake it, right? Because the visible church may include people who um, are, are faking it, right? And we, we, we acknowledge that. We know that. Um, but in the Old Testament, there was a physical sign. You knew, who, you, you knew who was in and you knew who was out. Okay, there was this physical sign of circumcision, the reason that that, that um, for most of the laws in the Old Testament wasn't because the, it was like super healthy or anything. I, I know, uh, like sometimes people will market like Bible bread, or I uh, know you, you might have seen some of that. There's like Bible bread where they'll cook it according to the Old Testament law, or you can buy you know certain meats and certain things that'll be like you know oh this is how the the uh, Israelites did it. Well, the point wasn't that it was the healthiest, although it often was healthy. God instituted those laws so that they would be set apart. You see, you couldn't sit down at a table with a Jew and not find out that they were a Jew. Okay, nowadays I can go to, go to um, you know, Carl's Jr. or whatever, sit across from somebody and never know that they're a Christian because they don't bring it up or we don't get into conversation about it or anything. But in the old, under the old covenant, you could not sit down with a Jew and have a full meal without finding out that they were a Jew. Because it said, oh, I can't eat that. I can't eat that. I have to eat this this way. Was this prepared this way? God did that to set his people apart, visibly and physically. Um, so now, what, is the, um, what, what, what is, is the New Testament correlation for us? You see, we don't have like a diet or a specific sign like that that we can, that we can do. We, ours is internal. Ours is spiritual. Romans thir- 6.6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. When circumcision was a removal of the physical flesh, we, we have an internal removal of the old self, of our old flesh. That is our sign of circumcision is that sin is done away with and we continue to fight that sin The second uh, word picture that Paul gives us is baptism. So the first is circumcision. He uses an analogy, just as they were physically circumcised under the Old Covenant, so we are spiritually circumcised internally, removing the dead uh, sin. The second word picture is baptism. Our physical water baptism, as Christians, is an external symbol of an internal reality. Your old sinful self has been buried with Christ, and your new self was raised to live in righteousness to God. What does this mean now? Does that mean that once you're baptized, you, you know, you're dunked, you come up, and, hey, I don't want to sin anymore. Now I'm, I'm free from sin. I'm completely holy. I have a halo above my head, and I wear a white robe, and I float around, right? Because I'm too holy to walk. No. It's like, a, it's like a bad zombie movie, right? Christ has already killed the sin, the old self, and it just keeps coming back. And we kill it every day, and it just keeps coming back, right? That's the Christian life, is that day by day we must... Kill the sin that Christ has already defeated at the cross. We must daily practice, Romans thirteen fourteen. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So that's number two. You have been filled in Christ with His power. Number three. Number three. We have victory in Christ. We have victory in Christ, okay? This last point and we're done. It comes from verses 14 through 15. Here is one of the most beautiful expressions of the doctrine of justification by faith found in the Bible. Our sins could only be forgiven because the debt was paid in full, including its punishments or legal demands, and nailed to the cross as Jesus suffered in our place for our sins. What's more, demonic forces have been shamefully defeated at the cross. While mainstream pop culture has portrayed demons to be these all-powerful beings, the biblical picture is quite different. Jesus has triumphed over demons. And while they are still dangerous and active, they will one day be cast into hell forever, not to torment, but to be tormented. And we'll look at that passage in Revelation 20 in a bit. If you don't hear anything else this morning, if you've been sleeping up to this point, hear this. Listen to this. Jesus Christ actually suffered for your sin. Jesus Christ was actually punished, was actively punished by God the Father for your sin. Okay, God has um, a nature of justice, okay? He's a just God, and He has declared that He will punish sin. Okay, and the punishment for sin is eternal. Yet He poured out that wrath, that anger against sin, that sense of justice against sin on His Son, Jesus Christ, in the place of those who will believe in Him. Okay, if you believe in Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven, because that's already been paid. And he offers that to all. He offers that to all who will believe. I want you to listen carefully to these words because there are some Christians today, there are some best-selling authors today in the Christian world who do not believe this. They do not believe that Jesus Christ was actually punished for sin. They see it as a symbol of love, right? They see it as, oh, it's just kind of a symbolic thing. The Son was not actually forsaken by the Father. Listen to this. This is a best-selling author, whose book has been on the bestseller list for you know, months and months and months. Okay, this is, this is a person who claims to be a Christian. And maybe Some of you may have uh, this book on your shelf. What I'm saying here is that everything that happened at the cross, is what he says, is the purpose of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that purpose is redemption, salvation, reconciliation. Sounds good so far, right? And I don't see that it's necessary to have the Father punish the Son. I don't see that it's necessary to have the Father punish the Son. Really? It's not necessary to have the Father pour out His wrath on the Son in our place for our sins? This is what 2 Corinthians 5.21 has to say. For our sake He made Him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus Christ became sin for us. Isaiah 53.5 and 10. But He was wounded for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with His stripes we are healed. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush Him. It was the will of the Lord to crush His Son in our place because He loved us so much. Who are you going to believe? Are you going to believe the Bible? or Are you going to believe the current bestseller, the current flavor of the week, right? Jesus Christ was forsaken by the Father on the cross so that we would not be forsaken, so that we could be accepted instead. This is important. This is very important. Let's just go ahead and finish off our study with verse uh, 15. First to give us a little bit of context on verse 15 because verse 15 talks about Jesus Christ's victory over demons. Why is Paul talking about demons? Why is he all of a sudden, he's been talking about uh, our debt being paid, our debt being cancelled, your debt, your penalty for sin being paid in full on the cross. And then all of a sudden he brings up this, Verse 15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities. Those are are, uh, terms that mean, he's talking about demons, rulers and authorities. He's talking about uh, demonic powers, okay? He has disarmed them and put them to shame, and he has triumphed over them. Why is Paul talking about them? Uh, Look back in verse 8. He says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition. According to what? According to the elemental spirits of the world. The elemental spirits of the world. Okay, when we were talking about the context of Colossians, of the letter to the Colossians, we were talking about how there was a false teacher. Do I mean, you guys remember this? There's a false teacher that was bringing these, these um, pagan beliefs, these legalistic beliefs, trying to get them to, to turn away from Christ, right? One of the things that he was probably claiming was to have some sort of spiritual connection. He was claiming to have some sort of connection to spirits that would help them to give him some sort of authority okay i don't i'm sure we don't have to drive many miles from here to find a, a psychic or a palm reader right i'm sure we can drive a few blocks and find one um, and that's still very common and very popular today people like to have authority and power um from spirits whether or not it's real or they're faking it depending on the situation um, people like to have that kind of power and authority and that kind of scares us right that makes us feel like, oh, you know, they, they know something that I don't know. They have some sort of special spiritual connection. Paul rebukes this idea in verse 15. Okay? He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame. The demons were tragically and totally defeated at the cross. Okay? Completely and totally, 100% defeated at the cross. You do not need to ultimately fear demons. Yes, we shouldn't toy around with things like that, okay? You shouldn't be playing with a Ouija board in your, in your, uh, in your bedroom, right? We're not going to mess around with things like that. Yet, they have been defeated at the foot of the cross. The pop culture of our day doesn't believe this, okay? If you want to go watch a horror movie, if you go watch a scary movie, um, there's always, you know, usually somebody's in a haunted house or something, and, and there's a spirit that's uh, attacking them, and there's no... You know, the priest can't help and the pastor can't help and, and, you know, nobody can really help. And this demon's just, you know, cackling as he, as he tortures this person, right? That's kind of the common view today. If you ever read a comic book or you read a magazine or you read a novel that's about hell or that, that has a scene in hell or something, there's always demons with pitchforks that are poking people, you know, and Satan's laughing as he's turning the furnace up on the, on the little dial or whatever, right? Satan does not rule over hell. Satan does not rule over hell. Do you know who rules over hell? Jesus rules over hell. Jesus rules supreme in hell. I've heard people say, well, hell is just the absence of God. Hell is just where God isn't. No, God is very present in hell. Frighteningly present in hell. His wrath is being poured out upon those who were rebellious against him. Satan will be punished in hell. Matthew 25, 41, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Who is hell prepared for? For the devil. Hell is waiting with its mouth wide open to swallow Satan at the end of all time. Jesus Christ reigns over hell. Let's just close with Revelation 20, 9 through 10. If you're one of those people who doesn't...